welcome to Track Cells Tracking Cells podcast, your go-to source for the latest news and insights into advanced therapy value chains. Hi, welcome to Tracking Cells. I'm Helen Hopkins, Senior Marketing Manager at TrackCell. Today, we're joined by two of my TrackCell colleagues, Alice Clayton, Head of Project Management, and Sean Evans, Vice President of Technical Delivery. Alice oversees the team of project managers who are the main point of contact for customers during project delivery. From contract sign-off right the way through to solutions going live, she ensures that we deliver on scope, on time, and within budget. Sean manages the technical delivery teams involved in scoping and implementing solutions to address specific customer projects. He also acts as a strategic lead for commercial customers in terms of best practices and maximizing the value they get from the system. Together, they're experts in delivering cell orchestration solutions to therapy developers, supporting a variety of therapy classes from clinical to commercial. And today, they have agreed to talk us through what is involved in delivering these highly configurable, automated orchestration solutions. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. We're going to have a chat through the customizations and ways that people make the orchestration software work specifically for them. So if we get started with the sorts of therapies and the way that the differences between the therapies impacts the orchestration process, is that something that is quite key or is it something that is fairly similar for all the various therapies we deal with? So I guess the the biggest differentiator for us and for our customers is, you know, are, are they autologous or are they uh, allergenic? And that makes a kind of a big impact in terms of the the process that that we need to model for them in the system. You know, do we need to go through patient collection, manufacture dosing, or are we looking for more of a kind of off the shelf aloe, potentially capturing some information around matching for the patient, uh, and then just shipping that through to dose them. So that makes quite a big difference and then there are kind of some other things that kind of sit around that in terms of what we might need to deliver for them whether that's kind of healthy donor tracking sample tracking and yeah you know, really anything else that can deliver value in terms of them having a, a coi and coc portal that they can really leverage to maximize the value they can get out um particularly you know having a place they capture data directly from their clinical sites and their manufacturing users and to be able to kind of consolidate that in a, in a cloud-based solution and even potentially on the end pipeline information for integrations to, to other places. You mentioned also versus Allo there in terms of um, the process differences. And I know you, you obviously mentioned that there's a, a donor involved as well. Do you get differences in the types of samples or the processes that samples go through with therapies or are they all fairly similar? Yeah, absolutely. You know, blood products are really common in terms of apheresis or leukapheresis, particularly in kind of CAR-T, et cetera, is very common in terms of therapy types. But we do certainly go beyond that, you know, biopsy, tumor biopsy even, as well as things like bone marrow collections. So depending on the therapy and its requirements in terms of the type of starting material can make some differences in terms of the, the kind of solution that we're looking to build for the customer. Or even potentially multiples of that. So, you know, do we need two blood collections on subsequent days to really maximize the starting material we have for the start of manufacture? And do we need to kind of wrap an orchestration schedule around that, ensure that we're tracking both days of collection under the same COI number so that we can kind of neatly tie it all together with the, the manufacturing lot, the results? Also, I mean, the COI, the chain of identity is, you know, obviously critical to the the solution. So, you know, the way that those samples are tracked through the processes is obviously really key. 
Does the therapy phase as well as the type of therapy change the way that the system is configured and the processes that they go through or is that something that remains fairly consistent all the way through? So certainly there is a difference between the requirements of a clinical and a commercial therapy. And I know Sean can certainly speak to those differences. But in terms of stakeholder management and the way in which we run these projects, we also see distinct differences there as well. They do require a different level of support and consultation, certainly sort of during the early phase clinical projects. They may not have actually worked with an orchestration platform before, so they really do need to leverage um, our SME's experience to help make those decisions and understand exactly what is important when implementing an orchestration solution and what maybe can be deferred to a later date. Commercial groups, for example, especially within big pharma, they typically have larger multifunctional teams. So requirements gathering, obviously, could potentially take a little bit longer. There's more stakeholders to consult and agree with. So again, those sort of considerations we need to well, take into consideration when we are sort of going through that requirements gathering process. That's really interesting. You mentioned subject matter experts there. What sort of areas do you find that maybe an early clinical company would need support in, you know, maybe differently to a later stage company in terms of those subject matter experts that are supporting within the team? Obviously, a clinical project group will be typically comprised of sort of a clinical supply chain, potentially a project manager. It really does vary dependent on size of the company and the structure. But certainly as you look more towards the commercial groups, they're obviously business stakeholders that need to sort of be consulted within the decisions and need to be involved within that requirements gathering process because obviously it needs to suit their needs as well as the obviously therapy process and the supply chain, which might not typically be involved in, a, in an earlier phase clinical project delivery. And I also think in terms of the wraparound services that Traxel can offer, particularly for for smaller clinical customers. You know, they're maybe a more of kind of a, a startup mindset there, much smaller team. They haven't got system integrators in-house that big pharma companies will have. And therefore offerings from Traxel, like the ability to perform operational qualification to validate the system on their behalf. You know, we can kind of roll out some of those services to provide a wider offering to and you mentioned wraparound services, but I mean, there are within these ecosystems of suppliers, you know, a variety as well, I guess. So do you find that, you know, in terms of the way that the orchestration system is constructed and who is feeding into it and which partners that they're working with differs within that kind of clinical versus commercial as well? Or do they tend to be fairly static in terms of partners and stakeholders? Certainly just in terms of Process-wise, the difference between clinical and commercial can certainly be different. When you get into the commercial realm, you might be looking at kind of requirements to ship via depot, particularly coming into the EU where there's a need for a qualified person assessment on EU soil. So you start to see kind of a more complex workflow start to evolve for those commercial customers just because there are more parties involved now. So whether that's QP depot users or whether you're looking to kind of implement process gates uh, around the commercialization of the drug product. So the need to have a purchase order in place before we proceed on to career booking in the orchestration solution. So you're starting to, to see this kind of deepening and refinement of the workflow that we want to put in the Excel system for the customer to deliver value and ensure that kind of we're adhering to that 
the complexities of, of their process. So it sounds like the orchestration process, the landscape, and even the sort of implementation project, the side that you're dealing with, Alice, varies massively depending on, you know, the type of therapy and the stage that the company might be at, and even to some degree, the size of the, the company, because that's not always hinged on the therapy either, is it? In terms of how do you scope how different each one is going to be? How does that project move forward to work out, you know, exactly where that customization is going to take place? So prior to us entering what we call our delivery phase, which is essentially our build phase, we go through a process called discovery. This is a series of Traxel-led workshops that are intended to give Traxel team a high level understanding of a new customer's process and requirements. So there are typically around five workshops that would be based around the customer's specific end-to-end process. And then we'll um, have some specific conversations around validation and uh, security as well. Whilst these workshops, as I said, are built around the customer's bespoke therapy um, and they are driven by the Traxel team, these really are intended to be collaborative sessions with our customers. The more discussion that we have during these sessions and the more input that we receive, the more accurate then the Traxel team can be in obtaining an appropriate estimate for the delivery phase of the project. Again, going back to the fact that all of the therapies that we work with are different to a degree. So this process ensures that both parties are fully aligned in terms of what that delivery process could look like from a timeline and effort requirements and and budget perspective. Um, So there really shouldn't be any surprises then when we enter that build. So again, it's something that we've implemented to ensure that whilst each customer will be distinctly different, we are clear in terms of those expectations going into delivery. The actual activity is team, particularly in that discovery phase, you know, really bringing value adds. You know, we are a specialist in the the cell and gene space. So, you know, our analysts can come in and they can really kind of provide guidance um, and experience from what they've seen other customers do in terms of establishing a set of requirements that really nail the the core elements we're looking for. You know, we're looking for a COI and CFC solution. And to establish that core chain of identity, chain of custody, but then to work out from there and to identify where are the value add elements for the customer in terms of scheduling, in terms of integrated courier booking, in terms of using Asalus's bartender integration to universalize collection labels across your clinical sites. You know, we can really establish that core COI, CFC, and then use our experience to build out and you know, maximize value for our customers. So these are a really complex therapies with lots of different variables and then the variables within the customer's business as well on top. And, you know, complicated projects as well, as you said, Alice, with lots of stakeholders that are all being engaged on the various different requirements that they have. And, you know, from what you've just said, Sean, an awful lot that they can then be configured or moved around. That being the case, how can developers help to control those projects to avoid sort of scope change or scope drift that's ultimately going to make the project more expensive and less effective as they deploy? So I think a key thing here and something that we've touched upon already is around that stakeholder engagement. But early on within the process, again, going back to the commercial therapies that we've spoken about, 
there are multiple different groups across the business that will need to be consulted and agree on the requirements up front. So if we're having those conversations early on in the project, we're ensuring that the requirements that we understand and we build from early on in the project are correct and are really fit for purpose. So that really is a key thing for us. And I guess sort of from a clinical perspective, or even commercial really now, now I've said it, if you can have an opportunity to really speak to the end user as well prior to building those requirements. Reach out, understand what the day-to-day processes look like, ensuring that we're building a solution that is easy to use and easily implemented within sort of the clinical setting or what have you. So this will pay dividends sort of in the long run. In terms of, from a track cell perspective and in terms of our delivery process, what we also do throughout the delivery, we, as we work in an agile environment, we provide demonstrations at the end of every sprint, which is essentially two-week build phases. So at the end of every sprint, we will provide a demonstration of the work that was conducted throughout the previous two weeks. So the customer have an opportunity to see what we have built and ensure that that really is sort of on the right track in terms of their expectations. And then there's an opportunity to feedback at that point. So we're not delivering in a waterfall method whereby we configure the whole system and then we provide something that might not necessarily be what we expected. So hopefully there's lots of opportunities throughout the delivery process to avoid sort of scope change because we're taking an iterative approach. That's a really interesting point that you made early on there in terms of the difference between potentially the user and the customer, because obviously we've been talking about the therapy developer and the therapy developer's needs. But you mentioned the users there and the users can be, be quite different, can't they, you know, from the therapy developer? And that, that really is a core concept to a sell-offs. You know, it's very focused on the end user experience. It's there to simplify their life, you know, to make sure that they find the entry of data for collection tasks, for administration tasks, you know, simple. They can quickly find their patient. They can view important dates and important information so that they're kind of up to date with the latest for that particular patient's therapy. You know, it's a massive focus for us as we build out the solution for the customer, deliver kind of the bespoke elements of their process they need to ensure that we're still providing a smooth and highly usable experience to their end users, to their clinical sites to their manufacturers, et cetera. The clinical sites, like you say, they've obviously got a certain set of tasks that they're performing and then the manufacturers have got a whole different set of information that they're feeding into the system. So there's lots of different information coming in at lots of different points. And I'm guessing that that's going to trigger an awful, awful lot of process flows and various different things within the system. How should somebody who's approaching this kind of project determine what to do from scratch and then what to maybe use kind of a more templated approach to. So should they be going through each one of those various different workflows and mapping it exactly? Or are there things that can be done on a more general basis to avoid levels of customization? One of the core things that we do tend to leverage is, you know, templates that we can kind of roll out in terms of a a core chain of identity, chain of custody solution. So that's, you know, for a blood product going in recording the DIN, taking it through to manufacture, linking that DIN to the lot, then going through to dosing, you know, tracking the label, the drug product, so we can ensure that the same shipper that left manufacturing arrives at the clinical site, you know, all that stuff really kind of comes out of the box for the sell-offs. That's all built into the package. You are not sending a lot, just delivering those kind of core concepts. And instead, what that lets us focus on 
is the workflows and automations where that's kind of adding value for the customer. So whether that is perhaps email notifications to important stakeholders that they want and we can customize the information on those templates so that they're getting you know, up-to-date notifications at critical points in the process, or whether that's kind of more around maybe their kind of escalation process when something's not quite right for a particular therapy and we need to get kind of an instruction on how to proceed, you know, how do we put together that workflow for them? So, yeah, we're spending less time on core chain of identity and chain custody because we're getting that out of the box. So instead, we're looking at, you know, what are we adding really that's going to bring something extra for our customers? There's an awful lot within that that kind of potentially can be customized. And like you say, it sounds like there's some fairly standard best practices potentially around, you know, chain of identity, chain of custody, those critical areas that the system is built out around. There's an awful lot more bits and pieces in there that you were mentioning, like label templating and notifications and that sort of side of things. Are there any specific things that you would advise developers to avoid in terms of customization? So in in terms of that, where we perhaps need, there are certainly elements where less is sometimes more. So if you take email notifications, a a great example, you know, particularly end users at at sites, they they can get a lot of notifications throughout their day across their, their entire workload, not just particularly the developer's own therapy. So making sure those email notifications are really targeted and just at key points in the process where they deliver really something to the end user is important and focusing that they've got the right information and that we're kind of enhancing their workflow through those. So we're about saying including a link to the patient record directly so they can just navigate straight into the cell and perform the task and then move on to the next part of their day. Or you know, other things like in terms of regulatory and, and PII considerations, you know, the nice thing is Salos has things like ICFA um, standard for COI out of the box, things like standard formats for donation identification numbers. So, you know, all those things, you know, we're not thinking necessarily about how do we need to customize those because they're coming out of the box with Salos, you know, specialist Salogene product. So all the relevant standards are catered for us. Something that we are aware of as well is that particularly sort of early phase clinical therapies and customers that we work with are more cost sensitive as well. So if we think that a specific requirement could potentially be a nice to have, we're not going to encourage somebody to implement something for the sake of it. We are conscious of timeline and budget and those things as well. So if it's value adding, we absolutely will encourage and work with the customers to make that decision, but also sort of on the flip side, if we don't think that it's going to have the benefit that they might initially anticipate, would have those honest discussions as well, like I said, to try and come to an agreed path forward, not to completely blow that budget and, and deployment date. In addition to that, then, one of the core concepts of the sell-offs, you know, as a validated system that's going to have to kind of live in the in the developer's uh, system ecosystem, that we're a, a GAMP5 Category 4 product, so we're configuration only. We're not writing bespoke code to deliver the customer's requirements. We're just leveraging the product's own configuration features and the platform's own configuration features to deliver specific requirements. And that's a really important concept because, you know, Alice mentioned that particularly smaller clinical companies are very cost sensitive, um, but so can larger companies as well. But by staying in the, the GAMP 5 category 4 realm, 
we're really kind of being efficient in that validation of the system. You know, we have a pre-validated product and then we're just configuring it to the customer's specific needs to, to really keep those validation timelines tight compared to other products that might be, you know, bespoke coding to deliver requirements. Um, so we're, you know, really leveraging being a configuration only product. Sure. Alice mentioned sprints and sprint deliveries quite a lot earlier on and sort of agile methodology and this this concept of checking in with the customer to make sure they don't get any nasty surprises when they get to the end of a delivery project. Are you able to, for the less technical software minded amongst us, are you able to sort of shed a little bit more light around that kind of sprint process? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the sprint process, what we're doing is, you know, before the sprint starts, so that two-week period of effort where we're going to deliver functionality for the customer, that's the sprint. You know, before we start that, our business analysts, they're already engaging with the customer. They're defining their requirements down to the kind of nth level of detail. So that might be the names of data fields they want on a particular task, validation rules to, to make sure that the data entered is appropriate, or even just help text to help their clinical site end users really understand the system and be able to move efficiently through the workflow. So they're engaging with the therapy developer to define all those requirements in advance of the sprint. And then what the team's going to do is as they come up to the sprint, they'll engage a sprint planning session and they'll go through and refine all of those stories. So all those requirements that have been de- defined by the business analyst. I kind of pull those into the sprint so that they can fill the sprint with the maximum high value items that, that are ready and available. They'll go ahead and start the sprint. You know, they're going to do the work. They're going to set up the configuration of the system. They're going to do sprint testing that to ensure that it meets the customer's requirements. And then when we come to the end, this is kind of where the really important thing comes. Unlike a kind of traditional waterfall system delivery, where you give requirements up front, someone goes away and they build the whole system, and then you kind of see it at the end. Instead, every two weeks as we go through delivery, we're going to deploy essentially a clone of the system, and we're going to hand that over to the customer in what we call a, a sprint demo environment. And that lets them, you know, every two weeks, they're working with and using the latest iteration of the configured system that they've defined for their requirements. Um, and that's allowing them to see, you know, what does the your cellular orchestration system look like as it's built out? How are my decisions affecting the usability of that? And really importantly, do we need to tweak or change anything before we come to the end of the project? So we can always then in later sprints, we need to revisit something because it's a real high priority to make sure we get it right or to make sure that we adjust it to be the most usable by the end user. Then because they've got this opportunity to visit increasing iterations of the system with more and more functionality in them you know it's not a surprise at the end of the project about the the end result of the system they're getting instead you know they've been brought along on that journey with us and they've been heavily involved in the development system and given regular opportunities just to be presenting feedback to us and to be involved in that development process directly Alice, you mentioned initially there when you talked about whether or not there was value from certain features is that something that if there was value to be realized later on, it could be added in at a later stage of the project or, or even after the system has been implemented? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that we see commonly across most, if not all of our customers. If we use a commercial therapy, for example, we often work with customers who have a target of building a system that is suitable for their BLA filing. So that will be our initial milestone would be to develop an MVP that they could use for their filing and then look to enhance in a sort of second or third phase for the launch. What we would then do is if we did identify some of those requirements or those features during that initial phase, that again, that didn't necessarily need to form part of the MVP, but would be nice to have to support that official launch, we would form, put that as part of our backlog. And then we would sort of refine that backlog then during our next requirements gathering session and understand again, is this something that we need to put into the next phase or has there been a change of position of the business and it's no longer required? So we keep that backlog maintained and it really is essentially a list of everything that either the customer needs now or we can look to implement at a later date. So it's by no means you make a decision now and, and that's it. There is certainly an opportunity even once you've deployed a system to go back and make further changes. And we've got relevant change management processes in place to make sure that we can quickly and effectively make those changes for our customers once they're in a live environment. That's really interesting. And in terms of those sort of changes, are you just sort of looking at kind of the fairly low level changes, which it might be sort of user or site changes, or are you looking at the kind of the larger fundamentals, uh, you know, as company needs or, or maybe even system processes or therapies change through those stages that you, you know, Sean mentioned earlier on the phases of clinical all the way through to commercial? The short answer, Alan, is is all of those changes. We can accommodate any change essentially that a customer needs based on its size. How it is managed within Traxon and what group it sits in, that may change. But essentially, if a change is needed, if it's small or large, we can accommodate for it. If it is more of a significant change and one that would warrant a dedicated project team to support with, similarly to the initial build, then we would look to bring that back through the, the typical project delivery process. And like I said, take it, take that phase two approach. But again, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be those large changes. We have mechanisms to implement small changes as well, especially when they're more time sensitive. There's quite a few things that you mentioned, Sean, to stay away from, um, particularly, like you say, straying into GAMP5, Category 5 territory. But can you provide, either of you provide any examples of that jump to mind of really successful customization that you've seen in systems out there? So in terms of successful customization, yeah, absolutely. And this goes kind of a, a couple of different directions, maybe depending on who the therapy developer are and what their needs are. So if you kind of go to one end of the scale and you're a, a clinical phase one therapy developer and you yourself are only just really defining your process, you're only just kind of building it out. So what we can do is we can offer products like a Salos Core that's end-to-end, out-of-the-box, autologous chain of identity and chain of custody solution with minimal customization needed to get it to the point where it's live. Um, it's really literally just the name of your product almost. And that's really important because, as I said, in that those early stages, the therapy developer, they're, they're only really defining their own process at that point. So asking them for for detailed requirements on the the very specifics of how we should be modeling the configuration system might not actually be an efficient use of time at that point. They're just looking out of the box, can I get off paper and onto an electronic orchestration system that adds value like scheduling or other things like maybe email notifications. And so having a variety of offerings such as a sales core for our smaller scale customers, 
and then being able to really ramp that up to you know full-blown sell-offs with uh, a wide variety of configuration options it really allows us to kind of scale our solution to the customer so not only have we got kind of an out-of-the-box coy coc solution for a relatively low cost but then we're able to scale that up to meet the demands and complexity for large-scale commercial customers that have to, to work with multiple workflows that vary based on you know geographical region. We've got customers who they've got their therapy set up in the system, um, but should the patient be in the EU, you might need the depot process to vary. Should there be, you know, we're shipping maybe from a CMO in the UK to the US, then there's a difference in the kind of career process that we follow to do that. And really the, the critical point there when we're getting to those bigger, more varied, more complex uh, commercial processes is that a sales kind of scales all the way from your your sales core out of the box COI, COC, and you can really build that configuration out to, to cater to regions as you open up and expand your therapy and their kind of increasing complexity demands whether you know you're introducing a kind of australia-based workflow that requires you to cryopreserve the product before shipping because of the long shipping timelines you know you can build out having implemented in the us originally and then add in additional workflow configurations as you build out the therapy as you launch into new regions, as you reach later stages of clinical trial, and eventually then when you hit commercialization, we can expand into that that commercial situation by adding uh, configurations like purchase orders, et cetera. In terms of really successful customizations, I guess, you know, there are some really big things that can be changed, but are there any sort of small, simple things that you've seen customers change in terms of their shipping or um, maybe the way that they're handling labels and that sort of side of things that are quite specific to them that have worked well within their processes? Yeah, absolutely. And kind of looping back, I think, to some of the other points made because a salos, you know, it's a specialist selling gene product and you get chain of custody and chain of identity out of the box baked into the product. It lets us kind of focus down on those very small, specific therapy developer-driven configurations that need to be made to support them. So good examples, if you're shipping drug product and you have scenarios where that drug product might stay in the shipper at the clinical site for a period of time, um, but that shipper is running on battery, then we can introduce things like timer-driven email notifications to remind clinical sites and therapy developers that some action might need to be taken after a number of days if the product is remaining in the shipper and the clinical site hasn't logged into a sales and recorded that they've taken the drug product out of the shipper, you know, put it into a freezer or administered it to the patient. So having the flexibility in our platform for those really small specific configurations, but ones that ultimately deliver a lot of value. You know, if we're talking about a timer-based notification to remind us that the shipper might be running out of charge, that's potentially a really valuable saving if it protects the viability of the drug product for the patient. You know, that's a, a massive end result for what is a very small focus configuration. But because we're baked in COI, COC out of the box, it lets us focus on those 
high value activities that we can support for our customers. Yeah, because that would be a really heartbreaking failure, wouldn't it, for a patient if it kind of got that way through, all the way through, and they'd, they'd gone through that process only to find that, you know, the cell sample was, or the drug product was, was ruined at the, the last hurdle. I mean, we've spoken an awful lot about um, all the things that can can vary. And I know, Alice, obviously your team are front and centre in terms of, of trying to, to manage that within kind of the customer's budgets and timelines and resource. How is that done with regards to such variability within the project? How are you able to set that process through for customers? Yeah, absolutely. So, First and foremost, it's probably worth noting that TrackCell is a project organisation. And what that means is that every new customer and every new project that is onboarded has dedicated resource allocated to it, which will be, and that core project team will be comprised of a project manager, a business analyst, a configuration engineer and a test engineer. So what that means practically is that as opposed to working in a matrix organisation where you might have conflicting priorities, this project team is dedicated, so we'll be working solely on the project. So there is sort of never any concerns for a customer around the resource up front. From a budget perspective, obviously the initial budget is captured within the SOW and our statements of work. So that clearly outlines the, the scope of the project we're about to undertake in the associated budget. It is obviously one of the key responsibilities of the project manager to remain within that agreed scope and budget. So there are mechanisms in place whereby they review the utilisation of the hours on a weekly basis. So work closely with our finance team to ensure that we remain on track with that and then initiate any discussions then with the customer um, if there is any risk associated with that. And again, in the opposite direction, if we are sort of working favourably to the budget, then communicating that to the customer as well. So again, we work closely with our finance team and with the customers to ensure that we're completely aligned with our utilisation from a budget perspective and timelines as well. So similarly with the budget, they are reviewed probably on a daily basis to ensure that there is no movement because we are very conscious um, of the deployment dates that we do commit to our customers. So that is really what we have in mind when we're reviewing those timelines. So if there ever is any slippages within the timeline, for whatever reason that may be, whether that be customer driven or, or another reason, we will always look to identify opportunities to recover any time lost to make sure that we do retain that deployment date that we have initially committed to. Something that you did mention, though, in your initial question around sort of potentially some differences between clinical and commercial. And whilst we do have those dedicated project teams, what we have noticed and, and something that we have touched upon on a couple of occasions is that there certainly is an increased level of complexity when you are managing a commercial project. So we certainly have done and, and do continue to tailor the the project teams to cater for that, whether that's additional sort of project manager officer support to support with um, driving our KPIs and reporting and that kind of thing, especially when you're working on a long-term project and you have key objectives uh, to meet those KPIs, really keep the, the team accountable and sort of drive that alignment across both groups. And similarly, Sean already mentioned in sort of his role as strategic lead, leaning on those SMEs across the business as well, certainly in the more complex commercial projects to ensure that we are delivering a solution that is fit for purpose, but also in the most efficient manner that we can, again, bearing in mind that that budget and, and timeline that we have committed to. 
So we there are additional heads that we may potentially lean on with larger, more complex projects. It's a word that's come up quite a lot, um, unsurprisingly, within the industry that we're in, in terms of validation, because obviously these systems, you know, do have to be validated within processes. Is that something that becomes tricky or expensive with regards to a customized system? Is the validation and the cost of ownership impacted by the degree of customization within the software? I think the the real key there is ultimately the the design of the sell-offs. With this in mind from the start, it is a, again, five category four configuration only product. That means our core product features are all validated out of the box. And in fact, when we come to implementation of a system for a customer, we're only validating the specific configuration of those features for the customer. We're really narrowing down that validation scope and that validation timeline and that validation cost against a comparable product that's uh, bespoke or custom code and therefore GAMP 5 Category 5. So we're really kind of leveraging the fact that we've designed this specifically in mind of reducing that cost to validate the system um, because we know we have to do it for each and every customer that we're, we're going to engage with. And then going forward into things like cost of ownership, et cetera, then, you know, a sales being that kind of configuration driven solution on the Salesforce platform, which makes it kind of highly flexible with very powerful features around things like translation of the system can really bring down cost of ownership. So that's say, you're a commercial drug therapy, you're launching in the US uh, initially, but then you're planning to expand out into other markets as you file with regulatory bodies. And you're going to need to translate that system for end clinical users in those countries, maybe going into the EU, into France, Italy, Germany, Spain, et cetera. You know, as, as Salos being built on the Salesforce platform, we've got translation features out of the box ready to go. And it's just a case of exporting the translations from the system providing them either to the therapy developer themselves to translate or bring in a third-party translator to run through and provide translations of those, loading into the system, and we're almost ready to go in a very short timeline. That allows us to kind of support that global expansion market that the customers are going to be very interested in as, as they grow their drug product and grow their market associated to it. And then also things like regulatory feedback, particularly at any point of launching commercial drug product and we're working very closely with a, a number of our commercial customers as they come up to the point of launch just prior to going live in various regions. They're expecting that regulatory feedback to come in from the various governing bodies. And, you know, as Alice mentioned, we are a, a highly project driven organization. So we're actually ready, lined up. We've got a team ready to go because we know that regulatory feedback is going to come in, whether that's from the FDA or other regulatory bodies, and we're ready to respond in a very short timeline. And that's something that our customers have said to us, that they're highly impressed that within a matter of weeks of receiving feedback, we're able to spin up the changes that relate to that feedback, whether that's labeling changes, process-driven changes, because our product is so configurable uh, and so easy to implement change in that we can spin up those changes, we can get them tested, we can get them validated with the customer and get them deployed to live in just a matter of weeks really means that we can support that regulatory feedback timeline that's always going to be kind of really critical 
as uh, as a customer's coming up to the commercial launch of their drug product in a region. Just to finish off, I mean, we've already touched on a few of the things that, that really do end up benefiting the patient, you know, just from the safeguarding of, of those cells and of that chain of identity all the way through the process. But do you have any other examples of how the customizations and automations within this kind of orchestration platform can benefit the patient? In terms of customizations and automations that might benefit patients, there's kind of a, a really couple of critical points. So one is the, the time to treatment for a patient and ensuring that they get their drug product as quickly as possible and avoiding kind of mistakes or issues along the way that might delay that. Um, so whether that's kind of from our scheduling functionality the ability to predict out a timeline for that patient or whether that is ensuring that chain of identity and chain of custody are maintained all the way through so there's no delays in ascertaining mistakes. You know, a good example is with the cell-offs, you can't write one DIN on the label and another DIN on the paper form that you're going to ship with the bag in the shipper. You know, that's something I've heard from a customer that's happened when they're on paper. But when you move to a cell-offs, you're suddenly in an electronic system whereby you just enter one DIN and that is what will go on the system of record and the chain of identity. But also our labeling integration is going to print that exact same DIN onto the collection label for you. So there's no danger or confusion or delays um, in processing that collection to manufacture a drug product for the patient. Um, so really kind of looking to, to protect and look after that time to treatment for the patient. And then kind of secondly, ensuring that there's a focus on high value tasks and patient care for our end users. You know, ultimately clinical users want to be focusing on delivering high quality care to their patients. And therefore we utilize our expertise in the cell and gene market to ensure that the end users are really only kind of coming into the system to be doing high value tasks, you know those core kind of collection, chain of identity, chain of custody events um, that can be recorded and speeding that up for them. Um, so they're, they're simply logging into a system, sometimes via SSO to, to kind of speed that up and make that easy for them. And they're able just to very quickly find their patient, see their available tasks, pick up that data entry task, complete it, and they're done. They're not having to print off forms to scan those forms and, and upload them to emails that they might need to do with a paper process. Instead, you know, very simple, log in, complete the task, get back to focusing on the patient. That's fantastic, Sean. I mean, it sounds like there's an awful lot of benefit to the patient, both from the point of view of how quickly they can get through that process and ultimately the patient care that the, the sites are able to give, which is what it's about at the end of the day. Thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time to, to chat through how the process works. I'm sure it will be really enlightening for a lot of people that are considering embarking on this kind of project. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, so. Thanks for listening to the Tracking Cells podcast. To stay connected with the latest episodes and updates, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on our website, trackcell.com. You can also follow Tracksell on LinkedIn. Until next time.